Amen. Me too. So I, I want to start this morning. Um, I'm going to actually read you. I'll tell you what. I want you to turn to Genesis 3 because we're going to spend the most time there. But I am going to start in a different scripture that I'll read in just a second. Um, and uh, uh, we've, I've got a topic that I teased a few weeks ago. And uh, I felt to go there this morning. I'm going to tell you the title of it in just a second. Um, and then I'm going to tell you how I'm going to twist it. I'm going to tell you the title, then I'm going to tell you how I'm going to twist it. So while you're turning to Genesis 3, I'm going to read this other scripture to get started, okay? So y'all just track with me. I'm going to look first at John chapter 8, verse 44. John chapter 8, verse 44 says, uh, this is Jesus replying to some people that were standing there that had challenged him on some things and that were obviously coming um, uh, from a, an evil standpoint. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in the devil. Everybody say that. Say, there's no truth in the devil. When he speaks a lie... He speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Or we could say it this way, the father of lies. He is a liar and the father of lies. I want to talk to you this morning about the lies of the devil. That'd be my title. But I'm going to flip it because I really want to focus more on the truths of God. And so the lies of the devil is, is, a good term, is a good title, but the focus really has to be on the truths of God. You know, we live in, if you think about the world we live in, we're, we're told lies all the time. I remember when I was in college, I, went, I got sucked into this thing. A whole bunch of my friends were going, we're all going to go to this little uh, uh, deal that they were doing. We didn't even know what it was, but they were offering free stuff. And if you're a college student and they throw in the word free, you're going. Free food, free stuff, free giveaway. It doesn't even know what the giveaways are. I had so many dumb little cups and like those little wristbands were popular and I had all that stuff from college that I had to throw away when I graduated because it was all free. And it suckered you into going to some sort of event or some sort of club or they were recruiting people for this or recruiting people for that. And so we show up at this event. I don't even remember what free thing they were giving away. But uh, I was a part of a group of guys, and the whole group of us went. Uh, not the whole group, but many of us. It was a lot of us. And so we get there, and come to find out it's a timeshare thing. And I'd heard of those. I'd heard people talk about them, but I didn't know much about them. All I know is, man, I like the pictures they were showing on that projector. I like what they were talking about. I like the idea of when I graduate from college, I will already have paid for time in these man I was like man I can graduate from college and start traveling the world I mean they duped me they do they got me good and, and I was wondering why these other guys were like no man no don't 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 mm -mm. and they're like you know and it's a really hard sale at the end you know like they they drive it home really good salesman best I mean great salesman and they drive it home and then at the end of it you signed up for it you don't even know what you signed up for and so I signed up for this thing, had no idea, never heard from them until I graduated from college. 
and then I got the bill. I forgot I'd even signed up for it. I was like, wait, who is this? Who are you? And they had my information. They had my social. They had all my stuff. And they put me through the ringer. I finally, you know, got out of it for uh, uh, like a, basically like a settlement deal where like, you know, I could just, instead of paying all that they wanted me to pay, I could, you know, settle. But I mean, how much money did I waste because I got lied to? It wasn't what they had, it wasn't what they had presented it to be. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't what it, the facade was nice, but what was really behind the facade was something else. We, we, we tell lies to ourselves. This happened. I told you we went to, to Charlotte this weekend. And so um, I don't know if my wife did this, but I did this this weekend. We, we, when we went to leave on Friday, we got up Friday morning to leave. And we kind of uh, left, not in a hurry, but we knew we were going to come back Saturday morning. So we wanted to maximize the day. And my wife did really good. She got, she got, she got us up and out of the house going. She was motivated to go shopping. She got us up, out, we're out of the house. Well, we, we, I mean, the house wasn't like nasty or anything, but we didn't really clean up before we left. So when we got back yesterday on Saturday, I was not very excited about cleaning the kitchen, cleaning, you know what I mean? Like you come back from a hotel that was nice and clean and you're like, I got, I, we left dirty dishes. We got to do the dirty dishes. We got to do, you know what I mean? And, and I, I told myself this, this lie, it's going to take forever to clean this up. I don't have enough time because there were things I was, you know, I needed to make sure I was prepared for Sunday morning. We were wanting to build some of the new furniture that we bought. I don't have time to clean up. And so we did a, a couple of things right as soon as we got back. Then my wife and I decided, okay, you ready? We're, we'll clean together. Well, as soon as we started cleaning together, it was no time. We were tag teaming stuff. You do this, I'll do this. And I mean, in minute, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, the house looked totally different. It's, a, it's lies that we tell ourselves or that we buy into that, that aren't really reality. That was a double term, but I think you understand. They aren't reality. They aren't really reality. No, they aren't reality. And so we, we buy into these things, these lies, and this is, the devil is an expert at this. The Bible actually calls him, look at that verse again. I know you're in Genesis 3, but maybe I can put John 8:44 on the screens once more. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. In other words, they're not from God's. For he is a liar and the father of it. I don't want to spend much time today talking about the devil, but I do want you to recognize from today's sermon his tactics and God's promises behind it or above it. That are more, God's promises are more powerful because he, the devil's a born liar. Does anybody know any born liars? Don't cut your eyes right now. Don't look at anybody. Don't, don't, nudge, don't, don't, don't nudge your neighbor. You might know a born liar. Not only is he a born liar, not only is he, is he like the epitome of a liar, but he's the father of lies. That means he's, he's a baby daddy. He's got kids that are liars. He produces lies. He not only produces lies, he produces things that lie. Because that's what a father does, is he produces representations of himself. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have used the word father. He's the father of lies. He produces, he's got children that are liars. He produces lies, and then he produces things that lie, things that will continue to lie. And if you learn to recognize these lies 
and the lies of the devil. If you learn to recognize, it will help you. I've gotten pretty good at that when I have like uh, um, conversations with people or counseling especially. Is, is I, I, and I don't call them liars, but I'll say this statement. Hold on now, that's not true. Because they'll say something like, well, now, I, uh, Pastor, you just don't understand. I, I, I can't get a new job. Hold on now, that's not true. And I'll stop them and I'll help them, not because I'm trying to be mean, but I want them to immediately recognize that what's coming out of their mouth is a lie they bought into. They don't even realize they bought into it. They don't even realize they're saying it. Well, well Pastor, I just, I just, I can't this, or I'm not going to be able to do this, or I, what, whatever. And, and they just, and I'll, I've, I used to just kind of let it go and think, well, maybe they'll, maybe they'll get it on Sunday, or maybe they'll... But, but I'm helping them because that's my job as a pastor. And I'll say, hold on now, that's not true. That is not true. Well, what is true? God's word is true. And we're going to unpack that in a minute. God's word is true, but you have to recognize that everything the devil does, like his entire makeup is deceit. Look at Genesis 3. Look at Genesis 3. Let's, let's look at this. Let's get started in this. Verse 1, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent. Has that ever bothered any of y'all that this woman's talking to a snake? Not only is she talking to a snake, but this is a walking, talking snake. And we know that because later, after, uh, after sin was committed, God condemned the serpent to now slither on its belly for the rest of, its, rest of eternity. It was a walking, talking snake. The first thing you've got to recognize about the devil is he's, in verse 1, what does it say? He's cunning. He's sly. He's slithery. And the, listen, he didn't, you see, we think of a snake. All the pictures and imagery you see of the Garden of Eden and the fall of man, the story, whenever you see those, you see a snake like we see today. I'm not sure what she was talking to, but what I do know is at the time that she was talking to that animal, that creature, it was good. I know that blows your mind. I know you're like, wait a second, hold on. It was the devil, but God created the earth and he created every animal in it and he called it good. If this doesn't blow your mind right off the bat, then I want you to just regroup yourself, start over with the sermon and lock in because the devil is not going to always use something that's bad to try to deceive you, deceive you. He's going to use something that's good. He came up to this, I mean, why was she talking to it? Why was she having a conversation? Why did she open? Because the devil used something that also she should have been over and Adam should have been over uh, dominion over, had dominion over. But that's a whole other sermon for another day. Then he uses something that's good. Something they were familiar with. Something that they... We know that because God said, I've made everything and it's good. And so he's cunning, he's slithery, 
This is, this, is, this is the epitome of him as I'm going to slide into this situation and work my way in and present something to you. And it's going to look really good. It's going to look really good. Let's keep going. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. And then she goes on, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, <coughs> excuse me, garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now watch what, in verse 4, what the devil says. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And thereby, sin entered into the world, and the fall of man happened. Number one tactic of the devil you've got to recognize is that he's in disguise. And he's oftentimes coming in something good. He's going to use something good. Number two, I want you to notice what he said back in verse, uh, um, verse four. Actually, no, look at verse two. It actually starts there. The lie starts there. Uh, no, in verse one, I'm sorry, at the end of verse one. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So Satan says to her, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? That's where, that's where the lie starts. So the, the second tactic of the devil is this. He wants you to think that God is holding out on you. Like, notice he didn't start with and talk to her about all the other trees. That's what she did. But, but he didn't start with, he wants you to think that God's holding out on you. The devil wants you to think that God's, you sh wait, wait, hold on now. What about this tree? Aren't you, aren't you missing out on something with this tree? Didn't God say, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree? That's what the devil, the devil will want you to think that you're missing out on stuff. That you're missing out on, on all these things around you. On all these, uh, he'll have you so focused on somebody else and what they're doing. Some, uh, somebody else's race that they're running that you'll get sidetracked on what you're doing. He'll, he'll have you ever seen a, ma a magician? I remember growing up, we liked David Copperfield. Anybody remember David Copperfield? He was like the first one that really did a lot of TV stuff, you know, and, and, and got real popular that way. And I remember watching that with my parents, and I was younger, but I, although I couldn't figure out how he did it, I knew what he was doing. Because when he was going to, I remember this one time, he got in a, in a box or whatever, and then he was going to go down Niagara Falls. I don't know if you ever remember this, but I remember watching it. It was supposedly live, and he gets in this box, and he goes down, and the box goes down Niagara Falls, and it tumbles down in there, and it breaks apart, and everybody's like, oh, no, David Copperfield dies. And then whew, the camera pans up, and he's standing on top of the thing. 
Whoa, David Copperfield. Well, before all that, there's a distraction. There's a, while you think he's getting in the box, there's a distraction and he's actually going, I don't know what he did. Again, I don't know exactly how he did it, but there's a distraction. They made a whole lot of, of, of big deal about the box and the commentators are talking about the box and everybody's panning around the box and there's all this commotion around the box and David Copperfield gets in the box, but we all know he never actually got in the box. I don't know how he did it, but the but, but, but reason we don't know is because we were distracted by the box and the fanfare of the box. And then when the box goes over the, the thing, we're all captivated by the box. And David Copperfield sitting with a snorkel mask and swims over to the little thing or something. I don't know what he did. And he gets up and he stands up and he's the hero. Because all the cameras, all the focus, all the energy was on the box. And this is what the devil will do. He's going to get you focused on things you're not supposed to be focused on. And in that facade and all that hoopla and all that, he told her, he said, can you not eat of this tree? And she said, well, yeah, we can eat of all the trees except for that one. Then, then, notice what he did. He said, oh, you're not going to die. This is, this is tactic number three. This is what the, de if the devil can get you to think this way, it'll wreck your life. You ready? There will be no consequences. One of the main lies of the devil, there will be no consequences. You're, you're not, you're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to get an STD. You're not going to go bankrupt. You're not going to be in debt up to your eyeballs for the rest of your life. Speaking of disguises, we all get that mail at least four times a week, right? The credit card company sends you something and you open it up because it's a nice flashy envelope and you open it up and what does it say right as soon as you open it up from a American Express or Capital One? Congratulations. Oh yeah. What did I win? Oh, you have been awarded a new credit limit. All right, yeah. 5,000 extra dollars a month you can put in our hands so we can make more money on you. But they don't say it that way, right? They say you got a new credit limit. Then they say like this, oh, and you've been upgraded. You are now platinum. And we feel good about platinum, right? We're like, yeah. See this card? Platinum, baby. You feel good taking that platinum card out because it looks different than the other cards, right? It's not that little card. Oh, no, I'm, I'm platinum. You feel real platinum-ish. Feel like a rap star or somebody. But see, I know because I've gotten debt collector calls. I went into debt in college. I've had the phone. I've went through all that. I know their tactics. I know what they're doing. I, I know that it's a facade for them to get you hooked in to the credit. And, and listen, I use credit cards, but I pay them off every month. And I use a budgeting system that allows me that if I spend money on the credit card, I see it and it never goes over what cash I have on hand so that I never spend more and I always pay 100% of it off every month. And the only reason I do is for points or, or something like that. 
but I never do it in a way. Why? Because I know their tactics. And the reason they want me to have the extra credit limit is so that I spend more than what I have. It's a tactic. This is a tactic from the devil. There's no, there's no consequences. You'll be all right. It's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that bad. Just go over there one time. Just, just have one drink. I know you've been sober for however many years. You can handle it. Just one drink. I, I mean, I've never, I've never smoked crack or did any of that kind of stuff, but, but I, I'd, have to underst- I'd have to think that anybody that's that addicted to, to some sort of drug, when it started, all they saw was the fun. I thank God I've never been addicted to it, but I, I mean, when you, when, you, when, you, when you see the bad side of it and they're, they're so addicted, they can't get free, they don't know how to get out of it, they've gone, they, they've, they're, it's wrecked their whole life, how do they get into that moment? Uh, the, the, it started with, it won't be that bad. You can control it. It's a lie. It's a lie from the devil. You will not surely die. Number four. He'll, 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 he'll have us believe this. God's word cannot be trusted. That's, a, that's what he did right there. That's not what God said. God's word. This is one of the biggest lies that I think our generation is facing. My generation and below. is God. The devil will take God's word and reduce it to nothing. He'll take the Bible. And, 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 and when I mentioned earlier about him being the father of lies, this is what happens is, is we now live in a world where I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily the devil himself. It's his children that he's produced. I'm not talking about people. I'm just talking about the methods and systems and, and, and things that we live by. Things that we're surrounded with. Things we're influenced by. Whether it be uh, the news or schools or whatever it is. And those systems in themselves, they're not evil. But the agenda behind them may be evil. And so therefore, we get influenced or our kids get influenced with an evil agenda. Why? Because he wants to belittle God's word to the point that we don't trust it. That we don't, that we just take it and just, well, that's not, I mean, listen. I mean, the Bible was written before we had all this technology. This is a lie. It's a lie. And we say these things, you hear these things, you may have even thought, huh, yeah, I never thought about that. You're buying into the lie. Like, like you, can't, you cannot go through your life as a, as a Christian, as a believer of Jesus Christ, and discount this 1%. This is Bible. This is the rock on which I stand. This is the concrete on which my house is built. And I believe everything in it. I'm not going to take one thing out of it. I'm not going to take one thing from it. I'm going to put it in my kids. I'm going to put it in my home. I'm going to, if something comes in my house that contradicts this, I'm going to poof, kick it right out. This, this, this. Well, why would you believe the Bible? I mean, how could you believe that? You know, one of the things that people say is it was written by man. See, I don't believe that. I, I believe that it was penned by man, but the Bible says it was breathed by God. I don't see anybody, you know, when you're in school in math class, and they're like, oh, well, you're supposed to be using this, um, you know, was it 
Pythagorean theorem, a squared plus b squared equals c squared. And they're like, no, you didn't do it right. I'm like, oh, huh. I'm sorry, Miss Teacher. But that book, that math book you gave me, it was written by a man. So it's fallible. So I made up my own theory, and I actually got 100 on this test. No, that doesn't happen. I mean, nobody's throwing out textbooks in college because they're written by men. But the thing about the Bible that I believe is it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses, people that witnessed the events during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that tell a story or tell stories of uh, supernatural occurrences that line up and fulfill specific prophecies and whose authors believe that their writings were divine in nature and not of human origin. That's why I believe the Bible. I mean, how do you, how do you take, I mean, is it reliable? Is it internally consistent? And is it corroborated? That's what, that's what most um, educational systems want to see in the material that they put out. I'm just talking about the education system. Is it, is it reliable? Is it internally? <laughs> excuse, excuse me. Is it reliable? Is it internally consistent? And is it corroborated? It's written in three languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, over three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, by 40 different authors, most of whom never met each other, over some 1,500 different years that tell one singular woven story of Jesus Christ and man's relationship with God through him that all works together in one singular woven story. How do you not believe that? Look, I'm going to just prove it to you. I told you I wanted to focus on, on, on believing God's truth. Look at Psalm 22. Turn over there, Psalm 22. I like it when we go off the cuff. Can we go off the cuff for a minute? We're going to go off the cuff. Not off the rails now, off the cuff. All right. Listen to this. This is Psalm 22. This is Old Testament. The title of it for me is The Suffering Praise and Posterity of the Messiah. Verse 1. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar to you? You know why it sounds familiar? Because that's what Jesus said on the cross a thousand years later. Oh, well, he just knew the scriptures and he quoted it. Okay, let's keep reading. And from the words of my groaning, or, or sorry, why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, verse two, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, uh, and, I'm not, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and, you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am warned and no man, a reproach of men. Uh, verse 7, all those who see me. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. I want to get down to. Verse 12, verse 10, actually just go to verse 10. I was cast upon you from birth. 
from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. When Jesus hung on that cross, no one was able to help him. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. I want you to think about what he's describing. A thousand years before the crucifixion, this is just one example I could give you off the top of my head of why the Bible tells stories that are woven together that only God could have pieced together. A thousand years, David prophesied and written scripture, the crucifixion. He just said, all my bones are accounted for, they're out of joint because of how he was crucified, but none of his bones were broken because they didn't have to be broken for him to be crucified. Water gushed out of me. They pierced him in the side, hit the right part of his body, that blood and water gushed out. He's telling, listen, you want the best part? Crucifixion had not even been invented yet. He's accurately portraying through prophecy crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we could read on and read all through it and, and, and dissect it all. Look, verse, verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. That's Gentiles. That's what Jesus called the Gentiles, dogs. They were the ones surrounding him, crucifying him. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. What was to his left and right? Two thieves. They pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. This is what happened. Like, like no one had ever been crucified when he wrote this. Like it hadn't even been, it was not fathomable. Like he had to write this down and be wondering what he's even writing down. Pierced my hands and feet? That wasn't done. Except for in piercing, but not in crucifixion. And people wonder, well, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe the Bible? I mean, why do you, why would you, why would you trust, why would you trust that ancient book? Why would you trust that? I mean, it's not, that can't really be real. That's just one example I can give you off the top of my head. 66 books, 40 authors, 1,500 years, and it all works together. Only God can do that. And so Satan started with, or not started with, but continued on with, you're not going to die. We're back in Genesis 3, chapter 4. You're not going to die. What was he telling her? What was he telling her? You don't have to trust. You don't have to trust the word of God. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let me tell you what else the devil will convince people of. That if you go down his path, you'll be like God. That's what, he, that's what he wanted was to be like God. So he wanted to convince her you can be like God. See, this is what happens with us, you know, I mean, I mean, all these things that I'm talking about. 
oh, well, you know, I, I, want, I want to be like God. I'm, I'm going to give you an example of this that I heard. I haven't experienced this one other than myself being a teenager. But when you get into your teenage years, what do you want? Okay, somebody said everything. That's true. You want independence. You want independence, right? Think about your teenage years. Now, for me, I don't have teenage kids yet, so I can't talk about it from the perspective of a father, but I remember being a teenager, that's what I wanted more than anything. I wanted independence, baby. I wanted to get out. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to spread my wings and fly, right? However, the average teenager wants to also be dependent. So give me a car so I can do whatever I want. Don't tell me where I can go in my car, but hey, can I have some gas money? Did you pay the insurance? Did you get the car I wanted so I look good when I, when I ride up in front of all my friends? I mean, don't tell me what to do tonight, but hey, when I, when, when's dinner? And this is what we do. It's what we do to God. Hey, God, I got it all figured out. I don't really need you, but... Um, Oh, by the way, can you bail me out because I just screwed up again? I, I mean, if, if, if we just trust what he wrote down. See, the devil will have you focus on the no so that you miss out on the yeses. And what I mean by that is not that, you know, as I covered on Wednesday night during our time in prayer, when you pray according to God's will, his answer is yes, always. What I'm talking about is the things like when he says, don't have sex outside of marriage. That feels like a no. Because that's what the devil wants you to focus on. Is the, I can't. That's one of the big, another big lie that I wrote down. I can't. The lie of the devil, I can't. I can't. I can't do this. I can't be that. I can't have this if I serve God. Which is such a lie. What the devil will have you focus on the no instead of realizing, oh, actually, you can have all the sex you want. I have all the sex I want with my wife in our bed where it's supposed to be. Nobody get a visual, but I'm just telling you that the devil will focus on, because if you're single, I mean, Paul said that all the single people should, should be shouting. They should be excited to be single. Because marriage is work. Is work. But there's, a, there's many, countless blessings that come along with it. And we have to recognize and understand that when God says, hold on now, I don't want you to go, I don't want you to eat of that tree. It's not because he's withholding something from you. It's because, it's because he's got all of this that's better. And the devil have you so focused on this little thing of, oh, well, if I could just have this, then I'll get, because that's what the devil presented. Hey, if you just have this little, if you take a bite of that fruit, you'll see like he sees. You'll see what he sees. You'll, your eyes will be open, girl. You'll see things you've never seen before. You'll understand. You'll be able to see God's holding out on you. That's what he'll convince us of when in reality, he's not holding out anything for me. He had given her and her husband, Adam, everything they needed, all provision, all relationship with him, all, they didn't have to, they didn't lack anything, no sickness, no disease, all health. And they fell for the fruit because they wanted that one thing. 
that the devil convinced them they needed. See, when they took the, wrap your head around this, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. At that time, before the devil painted this facade for her, all she saw was the good. When he came in and he had this conversation with her, he presented the evil. Oh, notice what she said. Oh, uh, I'm in chapter four. And she said, oh, he said, listen, verse five, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse six, notice what she, her quote unquote revelation. When the woman saw that the tree was good, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. When she saw, oh, oh, so I can be like God, huh? I wonder what that's like. I wonder. And she thought it was, see, he, he, made, it, he made it appear to her that it was good. This is, this is, listen, while I'm just covering all the lies I can cover today, I thought I might unpack one or two, but as I get into this, I realize they're all connected. Here's another one. You ready? If it feels good, do it. The devil will convince our old man. Listen, if it feels good, just go ahead and do it. Whatever's your truth. Everybody's got their own truth. Everybody's got their own truth. Oh, now I'm stepping on toes now. Okay. All right, while I'm going in, I'm just going to go in, all right? You know, it's like, it's like when the water's cold in the pool, and you know it's cold, and you dip your toes in, and you're like, oh, gosh, I just wanted to go swimming, and it's like 105 degrees, I got to get in the pool. You don't just trickle in, you dive in, that's what I'm going to do, all right? You ready? If it feels good, do it. I mean, what's a little sex going to hurt? I mean, the Bible says sex outside of marriage is not, it's not what we're supposed to do. And so the devil will focus on, oh no, so now that was written before, listen, they didn't have all the research on cohabitation (laughs) that clearly, clearly Moses, he didn't realize all that. He was up on the mountain. He was like blinded by God, you know, in the light and stuff. He just, you know, I'm sure God, I'm sure, this is another one, I'm sure God would understand. I mean, if it feels good. Man shall not lie with man. Woman shall not lie with woman. Oh, but I'm sure God will understand because I'm, I mean, I love them. Doesn't God want me to love them? He, he wants you to have love in your heart. Yes, he wants you to have a loving, caring relationship. He wants you to be equally yoked with someone who will bless you and point you towards heaven and, 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 and edify every part of your life and you help them and they help you. He wants you to have all that. He just said it's supposed to be man with woman and woman with man. Man parts and woman parts. And it don't matter if you change the parts around, they still man parts and woman parts. It's in here, and this, I already told y'all, this is what I live by. So I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. This tells me I can, I can love them. And I have, people, I have people that are close to me who have, have made those same statements to me. 
And their, their thought is, oh, well, well, why would God not allow me to love that person? It's not that he doesn't want you to love that person or have that love in your heart. He, want, he knows that the best scenario for your life is what he's outlined in the pages of his written word. And that if you fall in that, the love you have that you think is so great, he's got something so much better. So much better. But the devil convinces, well, if it feels good, if it feels good, do it. Just go ahead and do it. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. Just go, you, you, you know, uh, I mean, what, what, what's the worst that can happen? That's a, that's, that's a tough one right there. What's, what's the worst that can happen? How about I go to hell for eternity and never spend eternity with my Savior? Like, that's the worst that can happen. But he'll convince you. Now, there's no, there's no sense in relying on, 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 the, on this. Listen, this is just a book. And um, they just, you know. If you think that this is just a couple pages out of, a, out of, out of history, of, of things that are supposed to help you feel good about yourself and phrases to put on a wall while the devil kicks your behind every day, then you're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. Because the one I read says that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And that the promises of God, the promises of God, here it is, here's the big point I want to drive home today. That the lies of the devil steal and the promises of God provide. Are you with me today? The, the lies of the devil steal, the promises of God provide. And so the devil will convince you of you providing for yourself by dipping into the lie that he's presented in front of you. So that if I take that lie and I bite of that fruit and I allow this thing in my life, then I can provide something for myself that God hasn't done for me yet. But then the provision of God, which is coupled with the blessings of God, which are all anytime. I mean, I saw online this morning. I can't wait to hear it. Pastor Steve's doing um, eight, uh, eight blessings in Psalm. I believe it's Psalm 91. He's unpacking Psalm 91, eight blessings. That's just one chapter out of one Bible out of the whole book. And there's, that's, that's, that's page after page after page. And the, and the devil will have you focus on the one or, or the couple things that God has outlined for us not to do. That, that, hey, well, if I just twist that and put that in my little box so that I can do that thing, then I can make for myself what God hasn't provided for me yet. And when you do that, you birth an Ishmael, which is what Abraham did. God told him, I'll make you the father of many nations. And he got impatient. He couldn't figure out how to, how to work it out, I guess, with his uh, elderly wife and elderly self. And he said, well, I'll just go in and I'll lay with homegirl. And he went in and he did, and he birthed an Ishmael. That was not God's best. Um, we, we, we create these scenarios in our life that God's up there going, wait, God, if, you just, if, you just, if you just follow the path I got, if you just stay... If you just stay, I, I got you. If there's one overarching statement that I could make that summarizes God's promises that I want to combat to the lies that I presented to you today, the devil will make you think that he's got you, like he's got your best interest at heart. 
You know what I mean? I, hey, trust me, I got, you ever had a friend tell you that? And then it usually ends up bad. Hey, trust me, bro. Trust me. Trust me. But, but, but God's promises, the Bible says, I read this on Wednesday night. God's promises are yes and amen. His promises are always yes and amen. When you ask according to his will and you serve God, his promises are yes and amen. The best I got you is the one God gives you. Is the one that when God says, hey, don't listen to all the hoopla. Don't listen to all the facade. Don't get caught up in what the devil's dangling in front of you. I got you. I got you. And what I'm going to give you is so much better. So much better. Because what the devil will tell you is, oh, well, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't have this. You can't be that. And what God said in Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so the focus shifts from, oh, wait, hold on. I actually can do this. See, when you serve God, and you, and you, you, especially when you come to a church like this that preaches faith, is, is, is we remind you of that often. We remind you of that like every week. You can do this. You can serve God. You can, you can follow his promises. You can allow his blessings to flow through your life. You can do this. You, you, listen, you are a child of God. Another lie of the devil will tell you, you're nothing. You're nobody. You're, you're just a... Sometimes you ought to look the devil back in the face and just go... The Bible tells us he's nothing. That, that as, I, as I preached a couple weeks ago, that when we finally get to see who the devil was and all that, that the nations will go, that's him? So don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. You are a child of God. You are loved. You are loved dearly. For God, John 3, 16, for God so loved you. Make the Bible personal. Make it personal. Apply it to your life. For God so loved me that he gave his son Jesus to die for me. Okay, wait a second. I'm not going to believe any longer that I can't do something, that I'm not good enough for something, because if God went through all that trouble to give me Jesus Christ so that I can have the Holy Spirit, I can have eternity with him, then I tell you, there's something I'm called to do on this earth. There's something I'm able to do. There's something I'm, I'm not going to go backwards one more day. I'm going forward in Jesus Christ. Why well, I just don't have that kind of energy. Just get around me a little bit longer and it'll rub off. It'll rub off. It'll rub off. Because you need, you need to have somebody every once in a while come in and, and kind of ruffle your feathers in a good way and say, no, you're, you're listening to the wrong thing. You're listening to, and I know it looks good, but it's a serpent. I know it smells good, but it's actually stank. I know, I know it feels good, but it's going to cause you some problems. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
What is, what is death? Death is, is, is uh, um, uh, premature or, or uh, uh, separation, right? I mean, that's what happens when, when you die, when we say die on earth, you have death. Your, your, your soul, your spirit leaves your body. I don't have time to get into all that. But, so it's not talking about necessarily that you're going to die. That's what he told you. Well, you're not going to die. So she ate it and she didn't die, but she did die. She died spiritually. There was separation between her and God. That's why she put on clothes. That's why he put on clothes. So there's now there's this thing between me and God. But God said this. Here's one of the biggest promises of God. Ready? I don't have time to get, unpack all of them. One of the biggest promises. He said in the New Testament, that I am faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I am faithful. And think about that verse. When God said, I am, can y'all, if y'all can pull that up, I don't have chapter and verse and I'm so lost in my notes. I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's 1 John, uh, what is it? 1 John 1, 9. Thank you. It was coming to me. I got out first John, then I heard you over there. Good teamwork. Bah. All right. There it is. Look at this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number one, he's faithful. The devil is the most unfaithful. Don't, don't, all the lies that I talked about, they all promote unfaithfulness. But when you say, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. I gave my life to Jesus. I gave my life. My life is in him who's faithful. Like, he's not going to give up on me, so I'm going to do everything I can not to give up on him. And, and then he's just. And so the devil will present all his, thing, his ways of making you think that his ways are justified, but the ultimate justice He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. You don't understand, Pastor, I'm, I'm dirty. No. No, actually, actually you're not. That's a lie. That's a lie. God, oh man, that's like, like one of the most sickening lies. The Bible says that God's cleansed you. He's washed you as white as snow. You may see yourself as dirty. That's why I get bothered when I see preachers start preaching like, oh, we're just sinners and we're just all dirty. That guy's probably, well, never mind. I don't know. And I'm not going to talk about other, other men of God. I'm just saying, you won't hear me say that because uh, yes, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. But to him, I made, I've been made clean by what his son did for me because he loves me. And so if I wake up every day, it allows me to come to God in a true relationship with him. Because I have, a, I have a genuine relationship with God because I recognize he made me clean. He loved me. He has things for me. He wants more for me. And so my relation, the reason I read the word, the reason I pray, the reason I do this thing, not because I'm a preacher, is because I love God. Because I've committed my life to him. Do you hear me this morning? While I'm talking about relationship, there's so many lies in here, but when the, when the devil said, God said, he left out, and if you look through the original, original Hebrew text, he left out the Lord God. He just said, God, did, did God say? And he left out Lord God. 
Because God, the two words there, the God word, the original word, it, it talks about his, his more of the rule side of God, more of the, the uh, structure of God and what we, 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 we see in, in like his word and things like that. The Lord part deals with relationship. And Satan took out the relationship part and just focused on the rules. See, the relationship with God is what makes up for all the, or doesn't necessarily makes up, but it, it, it connects me to the promises he has for me because my relationship supersedes all of the stuff. So I just want to be in relationship with him. I just want to, just, I just want to know him. I want to know him better. If, if God told me not to do something, or to do something, the more relationship I have with them, the more I'm going to understand why. So I'm not going to buy into what the devil presents to me as his reasoning, because that's a lie. And everything that comes from him is a lie. Everything that comes from, from you know, any, any, any derivative of that is from the father of lies. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a relationship with God. I want to give you something practical today. Why do you have a relationship with God? Why do you read the word? Why do you pray? Why do you spend time with God? Why do you come to church? So that you understand greater, okay, God, I'm on this path. I've committed to it. But now, because I have a relationship with you, I'm going to understand. In the years that my wife and I have been married, there are things I understand today I didn't understand years ago. I, I, I don't just know that she likes the color, that her favorite color is blue. I know why. I don't just know that she likes seafood and that her favorite seafood is shrimp. I know why. I know why. I know, I know about her. I don't just know things. Like if I gave you a biography of my wife, I could tell you all those things. But I know, why, I know why she went back to school when she's a first-year teacher. I know why. I could tell y'all, oh, well, she's a first-year teacher, and she's going to be teaching at Bookman Road. But I know, I know why, because I have a relationship with her. And your relationship with God will take you, will take you to places. If the band will come, I'm going to wrap up. Actually, I've kind of already wrapped up.